Hello, my name is Lexi Davis. I'm a self-discovery coach, a yoga and meditation instructor, a love enthusiast, and a really playful human being. I serve people through my business, Alive to Enjoy, and this is Heart Snuggles, a holistic wellness podcast where I invite guests to drop into their heart space through authentic conversations and compassionate intentions, all in mini cuddly episodes, hoping that you connect to your truth in the most authentic version of yourself. I hope you enjoy. Welcome everyone to Heart Snuggles. We're so happy you're here today and I brought on Queen Michelle who (laughs) (laughs) I'm in her beautiful community, Holisticism, which you've heard me talk about many times. And she just created such an amazing space for humans to connect to their businesses and to their truths and to just explore life in a really truthful way. So go ahead and give yourself a little intro. Hi, that was so nice. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm Michelle. I'm a Pisces sun, Cancer rising, Scorpio moon. So I have a lot of feelings. I'm a projector in human design, Enneagram 4. And yeah, I'm the head witch in charge at Holisticism. And I work with a really awesome team of people to make that community what it is and and work with the community to make it what it is. So, And I've got a whole lot of life experience. So I'm excited to just talk about everything and anything today. So the question of the podcast is, what was the last random act of kindness someone did for you? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, this morning, (laughs) this is so simple and small, but I work at a co-working space that's beautiful in LA, but we have to pay for parking and it's really expensive. And I was running a little bit late and the parking attendant this morning just waved me in and didn't give me a ticket. (laughs) So I didn't have to pay for parking, which was really nice. It's like $12 to park there. So I was delighted by that. That's beautiful. Those are the little moments. So like, that's the point. Exactly. Where you're like, yes, it's good to be a person. This is cool. (laughs) (laughs) So nice. Oh, beautiful. All right. Well, let's start off with how you ended up with holisticism and like your, a little bit of your journey of getting there. It was definitely circuitous and not a straight line as I guess in my life, nothing is a straight line. So you're out there listening and you've had like a very easy one foot after another path. Like hit me up. I'd love to know how, how you did that. Holisticism started four and a half years ago after I'd been working in tech for a while. And before that in the wellness space in New York, and just really wanted to find more people and carve out space for more women at the time who were hiding their intuitive witchy genius. And also were amazing at building businesses and building, bringing people together. What had happened was I was working at these tech companies and I kept seeing over and over again that I would meet incredible women and they would be one way in the office and in the boardroom and in meetings. And then they would sort of corner me at some point in the kitchen or in the bathroom and be like, so tell me what you think about crystals. And like, so do you know about human design? I'd be like, yeah, I fucking know about human design. Do you know about human design? They're like, yeah, I know about human design. And I just thought it was so interesting that we were all like hiding these elements of ourselves because to be taken seriously at work, we had to be these logical sort of, I don't know, computer-minded humans. And I just thought that was fascinating. And I wanted to make space for myself to be as weird and witchy and wonderful as I wanted to be and still be taken seriously and, you know, give room for other people to do that too. So that was kind of how holisticism started and it's evolved ever since, but that was the beginning. Yeah. It's so good that you saw that and you were like, okay, I'm actually not going to conform to this and <laughs> listen to these signs and take action on that. So have you always been a go-getter like that or how did- Yeah. To my detriment, for sure. <laughs> I don't like, I, 
I think that that's probably, you know, some like shadow of, of me is I'm, I've always been pretty like driven and determined. And I guess that's probably part of my upbringing and my parents, my dad says, you know, Pelazons never give up. My last name is Pelazon. So that was sort of a mantra that we had in our household forever and ever. And I grew up dancing. So I was judged a lot based on my body and my performance. And it was, that's a lot for a young girl to go through. Um, I remember a teacher, you know, coming up and squeezing my back fat and and saying, you know, when I was like 85 pounds, and <laughs> 13 years old, you know, saying, are you eating pizza? Like, are you drinking milk again? Like, you know, that you're not supposed to do that. So I didn't really go through anything that difficult. I'm a white middle-class girl who grew up, you know, in California, it wasn't a difficult upbringing, but there were certain things, you know, that I didn't get what I wanted or where I felt like there were some moments of toughness and my parents would just say, you know, you don't get the option to give up. You have to keep trying. You have to just keep trying. And when I started having seizures, when I was 17, that was something that was like, really was a breakthrough for me of like, I just have to keep going. Like I'm going to beat this thing, or I'm going to like overcome this thing. I guess like difficulty was never portrayed as something that could be like traumatic or bad for you. It was always viewed as something that could offer you a chance to be resilient. And well, I think that that is true. Sometimes it's not true all the time. And if we have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And as a result, you know, in my teens and twenties, everything that anything that was really difficult, that really hurt me. I just thought, well, I have to just buck up, try harder, push harder, push myself more and make it happen. And I think that that sort of brand of feminism really was shoved down our throats. I don't know if I can speak for you if you agree, but like, yeah, it was like girl boss, like stop crying, drink a cappuccino, put on your high heel shoes and like stomp down, I don't know, Wall Street or something. And like weird, <laughs> but I say all that because like, I think I was a go-getter, but also like, I didn't really think I had another option to be soft or to like say, actually, this is really hard and I don't want to do it anymore. Or maybe this is a sign that I shouldn't be going in this direction. And I didn't really understand that discernment until my late twenties. And I stopped looking at everything that everything is an obstacle that I had to overcome. And sometimes as a wall that wasn't meant to climb, but that I actually should take a turn at and say like, oh, there's a dead end here. Great. I'm going to go try a new route. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I'm very similar to like, I've always had that go get a personality. Everyone's like, how do you do all you do? And I'm like, trauma. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like people pleasing tendencies, probably. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's so true. Um, And something else I want to touch on that you said too, is like, you have been privileged and I really love how you incorporate inclusivity in your community. And so how do you do that for people? Certainly not perfectly. That's the first aspect is like, well, if you're a people pleaser, like me or recovering people pleaser, fuck, (laughs) shit, I'm not going to do this right. I'm going to mess it up. People are going to get mad at me. And um, what's the other option? Not do it? Like, no, that's not an option. So I don't know. I think it, it starts with one step at a time and just like anything, right? Like all you need to do is take the next best step. And maybe for those of us who are zero to hundred people, um, who are like people pleasers, or I don't know, have Saturn Capricorn or even have like ADHD, which means that we, you know, take in dopamine in a different way than the typical neurotypical brain and have these extreme responses to things like feedback 
or criticism. And the gut instinct often with that sort of black or white thinking is to go to the nth degree, to go all the way to the extreme. So, oh, I have to be more inclusive. Then I'm going to do every single thing to be more inclusive than I possibly can. Take it all in at once and then, you know, choke on it (laughs) or like not be able to actually fulfill it. And I think that overarchingly, like just taking one step at a time, knowing that you're not going to be perfect and your progress is probably going to be a little slower than you want, but like still chipping away at it is the best advice that I can give. And for me, that started with just really stepping outside of myself and paying people to hear about their experiences and to see my blind spots and make sure that they were, that wasn't like, oh, can you do me a favor and tell me about what I'm missing or educate me? It was, let me pay you to do this labor. And then, yeah, like, I guess trying to be as open as possible and just continuing to try and learn and and be discerning, but I'm certainly not perfect at it. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah, of course. I love that you brought that up and like your reprogramming failure tolerance challenge because it's like so many of us are perfectionists. We don't even realize it. And it's just like so deeply ingrained in us that everything we do, you know, we try to uh, meet these unmet, like un- you can't, you can't be that all the time. So yeah, I think that's really great reminders that just try and do things and see what works for you too. And yeah, just having that intention is such a big step in the right direction as well. It's so unsatisfying though, to hear that as a perfectionist of like, I don't know, just like try one thing and like hope it doesn't fail. It's like, no, give me the roadmap to be perfect, obviously, you know? And I mean, there are so many, if you're in particular, like want to double click on inclusion, there are so many amazing companies that are like doing incredible work, but Surge, I'm sure up for racial justice is a great one is a great place to start but yeah that perfectionist archetype or like that idea that we need to do it all at once and have like the perfect I don't know next five years planned out like that'll torpedo your life and all of your goals and also your intuition so fast because yeah it's not something I think like most of these things inclusion grief love self-actualization they're not like concepts to master and check off a list. They're living, breathing things that like they're worlds that we're inhabiting and like that we just are deepening our exploration of. Yeah. It's such a good point. We like to think that everything can just be like checked off and it's not. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so annoying. (laughs) I'm like, come on. It's going to be able to do everything. (laughs) And you just briefly touched on grief and I know that you're doing death doula training. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. My husband has brain cancer. So I've always kind of been obsessed with death. I mean, not in a, like, I guess a little bit in a goth kid way, but you know, I've always been into like past lives and near death experiences and mediumship. And that was really what got me into wellness. A couple people around me died at the same time when I was young and it was really traumatic and nobody in my life could relate to me. Like everyone had like a grandparent maybe who died. Right. And here I had friends and family members who like, who were young and that was so strange. And I really turned to spirituality to try and make sense of it. And and realize like, wow, there's not a lot of support. We don't talk about this enough, or at least I'm not in these conversations enough. So that's something that I think about often. And when I met my husband, he had brain cancer and it was, you know, this like weird sort of dance that we did where I was like, so are you going to die? Or <laughs> like, what's the, are we dating? Like what's going on? Am I your last 
like lay before you get out of here? Like, what are you wanting to do here? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be around for a long time. I'm not going to die of a brain tumor. I'm going to die of old age when I'm 90. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm glad that that you're, that's where you're at mentally. And it's still a very real thing, you know, that's like, around all the time. And something that we talk about a lot is, well, death is real for everyone. <laughs> like death is at the door for everyone. It's just that we're not always so aware of it. The veil is not always as thin or it doesn't feel as close because we don't have something like a scary diagnosis that's hanging over our heads. And that doesn't mean that tomorrow could be your last day, you know, because of some freak fluke accident. And I, I just, that exploration for me and how much more alive I've been able to be, I guess, in relationship with my partner, but also just in our conversations around death and grief and dying has been transformational. And I wanted to learn more about how to help people through that and demystify death. It's one of those, you know, it's a universal experience that we used to have rites and rituals around that we really don't anymore in the same way. And um, it feels in many ways like the last frontier for spirituality and mysticism and all the things. And every sense of the, of the term, it's the last frontier. So yeah, I'm just so curious to sort of guide someone through that threshold experience of moving from this life into the ether and also to hold space for people who are grieving as they go through another threshold experience themselves. So yeah, I'm learning a lot. Yeah, it's so good. I as well have dealt with a lot of death at a young age of people that were young as well and unsuspected and just like are unexpected. And it's so I had the same experience, like no one know, knew how to hold me. And I just felt so alone and not even my family members knew. And so it's a really intense experience. And I think it's so great that it's starting to be more talked about. And but it, me as well, like I've been able to live so much more fully, not being afraid of death because it's mm-hmm. so untalked about. I'm like, why are we talking about it? We all have to die. Yeah, it's so funny. We're so like, especially the tech sort of world is so about extending life, right? Like we've got the quantified man movement and bulletproof and all of this technology that's going to like help us live to be 150 years old. But we're all ignoring the fact that like death comes for everyone, (laughs) you know, it's going to come whether you like it or not. So we might as well get comfortable with it or at least like face it. Um, we don't have to be comfortable with it, but yeah, it's so interesting. And people, I think, I don't know about you, but I find that people really want to talk about death. If you open up the conversation, it's like this taboo, really taboo topic, but everyone has a relationship to it. Even if it's, oh, I've never experienced someone close to me dying. That's still, you still have a relationship with death, you know? Yeah. I think that's a great point. And so what have you learned that helps when someone is grieving to support them? That's a really good question. It's, I think one of the biggest things about grief that we don't acknowledge is that it's not like a start and stop thing. It's not a, okay, I'm done grieving. (laughs) Uh, You know, like it's been a year, I guess I'll stop wearing black or whatever, or you marry someone new or you have a baby or whatever. Grief is a constant companion. And from the moment you experience that on, it just changes shape and grieving can change shape too. And it doesn't have to be depressive and sad and oppressive. It becomes this character in your life. And I think telling, giving people permission to grieve, to relate to grief 
and say like, well, this is going to be with you forever. It's not going away. It's like your imaginary friend that's still going to come and visit like Peter Pan at night when you lay your head down to sleep and like, that's okay. And that your grief might pop up in the strangest places at the strangest times. And there's nothing wrong with you. And there, that's not bad. And it also doesn't mean that you haven't moved on and that you haven't lived like, and there, you're not doing your best. And we're so eager often to just move forward and move past something and not be in the feeling in the muck of it to like sort of close a chapter. But we forget that we are like constantly on the hero's journey, which is cyclical. And every time we go into the, you know, the special world as the hero and we go through all of these trials and tribulations and we learn some lesson, we take some gold back to the ordinary world, we start over again. You know, we bring back this new thing that we've learned, but then we immediately pretty much descend into that new journey. And yeah, I think that people think it's a straight linear line when really it's just this never ending circle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. And I've found that really comforting to people when I say that too, it's like, it's going to (laughs) be a lifelong journey because it really is like coming to the fact with that. Cause that's another like truth that we don't speak. It's like, Oh, you'll, you'll be fine soon, but that's not comforting at all. Cause it's not true. (laughs) No, no. It's almost like on a smaller scale. Well, maybe for some people breakups are just as traumatic and grief stricken and, and are a death in a way when you go through a breakup and someone's like, Oh, you'll, you'll be over it. You'll be over it. in like, what do they say? Half the amount of time that you dated is like when you'll be over the relationship. And then if that, that period of time comes up and you're still kind of like hurting, makes you feel nuts or like there's something wrong with you and there's not, and, and you do love again. And you also like can still love and hold feelings for that person that you're not with anymore. Yeah. It's really important to talk about that. There's grief in so many different ways. When we grieve our old versions of ourselves, like past relationships, it's we're constantly going through that death and rebirth cycle. And that's also not something that we're like acknowledging either. And it's so good too, because like we need to take time to grieve parts of our lives and to experience those sensations. Like you're saying, we so often just want to feel joy or, you know, comfortable feelings, but that's that's only half of the human experience. Yeah. I mean, so many, I have so many mom friends now who are like grieving their, their maiden archetype, you know, cause they're like, I'm a mom. It's cool. <laughs> like, It's cool. It's cool to have a baby, but like, I'm never going to be my old version of myself again. And that is like, yeah, it's so real. We don't talk about it enough. Yeah. That's why I'm afraid to be a mom. Cause I'm so, I love my spontaneity. And like, <laughs> I also know like I'm going to be a mom, I feel like, but it's, yeah, it's such a big transition to like devote your whole life to someone else. And like, now you're caring for like, you are first, but you're pretty much putting someone else in front of you. Yeah. At least for like a couple years, they need to come <laughs> first or else they're going to die. So you got to like prioritize them. Yeah. It's totally terrifying. I was just talking to one of my friends who got married last night. She got married and I was talking to her last night and we're, you know, we're 32 and she was like, I'm not ready to have a kid. I, I couldn't, could not, I need like at least four more years. And she's like, we're fine. We're good. We're happy. But like, I just need to be selfish, you know? And I totally relate to that. Yes. And I think that's so, I love that we're shifting away from that because yeah, back in the days when you just like get married right away and have kids right away, I'm like, Oh yeah. And I, I, Totally. And I still almost feel like, well, okay, what are you, you going to do? Like, you just don't, don't you, isn't what you do now? Like, yeah, pregnant or I don't know. You just got married. Why get married? But 
But yeah, that's so like typically ingrained in us from society. I'm glad that we're moving away from it. And then you're really good at that, like undoing all of the societal programming. So how do you, how do you approach that? Cause there's like so many lenses and shit that's put onto us and you're constantly like, Mm-mm, like taking them all out and like showing us how to do that. Oh my gosh. I don't know about that, but thank you. I appreciate that. We talk about it at least. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's, that's it, right? It's just like awareness of like, where did I come up with this idea? Like, where did I learn that? And I'm a really, like, I love reading and learning almost probably to a a fault. Like I could just spend so much time studying and not living and that would be a problem. But I don't know. I think that that's like, we kind of have to investigate, interrogate ourselves of like, where did I decide that? Where did I learn that? Is that still true for me? Because I don't know what really is true. Like what not to get so like philosophical, but like what, if, what even is real? Like, what do we know? We're just, you know, I think about this with in relationship to money a lot because we just have this sort of collective delusion around money and around things like cryptocurrency, which is a great example because we're seeing, you know, sometimes when you tell people like, well, money is fake and we just like all decided to believe in it. They're like, what are you talking about? You're insane. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but when you bring up crypto or something like NFTs, People are like, yeah, I don't fucking get it. And you're like, but that's the new money. It's new, it's money. Like, and there are people who believe in it and who believe it's valuable. And that's why it's valuable. And we've just decided. And we could also tomorrow decide like it's not valuable anymore, which is actually kind of what happens with Bitcoin, which is why some days it's super valuable. And the next day you're like, oh my God, I just lost $30,000. Like what? Um, And then it's up again. It's, it's so interesting. If anyone wants to practice like money energetics, go buy Bitcoin. Like that's the best way to, I feel like it's a great way to learn, but I don't know. I think that's a, a good place to be at. And the more you interrogate yourself, the more you'll be like, oh, wow. Are green juices healthy? Like someone just told me that, but like, are they really? Like, let me go decide for myself. And I don't know. I think that health and well being is just choice, like the opportunity to make choices for yourself. So when you can make conscious choices for yourself around every element of your life and really believe it with conviction, then I think that's well being. And yeah, we often just passively consent to what we've been handed. Mm -hmm. And we don't even realize that we can dissent or that we can say like, I do not consent to that thing. I do not consent to being treated that way. I don't consent to being perceived that way. I don't consent to hating social media. Like what if I want to make that a fun dream world that like I enjoy and everyone's telling me I need to make it this negative, nasty thing. But like, what if it really is really fun and like an amazing place to practice magic? Like why am I just sort of like taking that in without sort of pushing back on it. So yeah, I think that's, it's so great. Like that's one of the biggest things that's been like just highlighted left right in my life is we have choices. Like yes. every situation, like there's a choice and reclaiming that power back to yourself is like, whoa, let's go. Like life is yeah. so when you realize you have a choice in every situation. And just because someone told you so, or just because they're your parent or like your boss, like it doesn't matter. Like you are your own sovereign being and giving people that remembrance is so essential. I don't know about you guys, but I know I've been struggling to find inner peace lately, and thankfully I discovered Open, a mindfulness studio for everyone. As a yoga teacher, it's been difficult to find an online studio that actually shifts my well-being, and wow, let me tell you, Open transforms your mind through body and breath in an immersive space designed to take you to the here and the now, no matter where you are or where you begin. 
Open offers live and on-demand breathwork, meditation, yoga, and Pilates guided by the leaders in mindfulness, centered on music and rooted in community. Um, hello, two of my favorite things. <laughs> and their aesthetics are mm, on point. So as always, I'm getting you the best of them. So I got you 30 days free. Just use the code HEARTSNUGGLES and let your ritual begin now. I think that's probably the root of like cognitive behavioral therapy, right? It's just reminding you, the patient, whomever, that like even our feelings are choices in a way, like choosing to go deeper on feeling or like feel the depth of a feeling or let a feeling overtake us or emotion overtake us. Like those are all kind of choices and we can kind of get our power back for lack of a better term. It's not like the best terminology. We can reclaim ourselves and like our choice and, and eventually like choice making becomes easier when you're more clearly prioritized. So when you first start, it's like, oh my God, I have to make a fucking decision about everything, like everything, everything. And it's so overwhelming. And that's why people don't do it. Right. That eventually the more clear your priorities are, and you know who you are or who you want to be or what you want, then like that choice making becomes almost like obvious. Yeah. That's so true. Like the amount of times I feel overwhelmed by choices. (laughs) When you go to a restaurant, I hate when they have a hundred things on the menu. I'm like, don't do this to me. Cheesecake factory is off your list. You don't go there because the menu is like two inches tall, you know, it's too much. Yeah. So it's, and it's like everything, it just takes practice. So yeah. And just feeling that because so many of us give that, give ourselves away. Like we're so externally validated and sourced that it's like, we don't even know how to do any of that internally. And it's just a process. Yeah. And we get mixed messages too, when we make choices for ourselves, right? especially like in a society that has structural oppression, that's like built upon structural oppression that uses systems like capitalism that are sort of entangled with oppression. We get some messages that say like, yes, stop, don't make choices for yourself. Like don't question. If you just put your head down and you're a good girl, then like you'll get ahead, right? Don't cause problems, just be productive. You'll get a raise at work and you'll get a bonus and you'll everyone will be happy. And then that you feel hollow on the inside. You're like, I'm a shell of a human. And then you got, you know, go make choices that are antithetical maybe to like what's mainstream and it feels good. And it also an exhilarating, but also like terrifying. And you have a lot of the mainstream conversations sort of like giving you many reasons not to do that, trying to dissuade you from that. So it's tough. Life is just, there's always so many angles. You're just like, fuck. <laughs> Everywhere. Yes. It's like, yeah, no. So there's so many layers of everything. Yeah. And I want to talk more about money because you've expanded my awareness so much around money and how mm-hmm. I love that one thing in your, forget what, what it was. You did a workshop and you were like, money just amplifies what's already there. And like yes. having, like, think that's huge. And then talking about like also claiming your money, like being wealthy or rich or abundant, whatever you want to call it. And like being able to give so much more. So yeah, just if you can go into that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we've been told that money is evil and bad, or even that, even if we haven't been explicitly told that, like we see it a lot, right? Like even when we, when we talk about Jeff Bezos and we're all like, fuck Jeff Bezos, right? We don't like him because often we say like, because of his billions, right? Because of how wealthy he is. And I mean, like what's unsaid there is that to get to that degree of wealth, you have to oppress people on the way. But that doesn't mean that every wealthy person oppresses another person. And money in and of itself is just neutral. It's neutral, right? 
all it really does, it's like Saturn or it's like Jupiter energy. It just magnifies what's already there. So if you are a kind of shitty, selfish person, well, if you have more money, you're going to be more of a shitty, selfish person. You know, you're going to have more resource to feed that element or aspect of yourself. And I think that people who view themselves as good, there's really no such thing as like good or bad. Like what is good? What is bad? It's such so black and white, but those of us who are spiritual or who are healers or who want to help other people, we don't want to be bad, right? We, we don't want to be evil. And so we sort of turn away from accruing wealth or making money because we associate it with being like the opposite of what we want. Right. Mm -hmm. And for so long, we've also associated martyrdom and pain with being quote unquote good. And so, and that comes from religion, like mostly Western religion. And that, of course, if you like live in the United States or if you live underneath capitalism, those things are intrinsically tied to each other. And then like, we could go back even farther and go to the origin origination of capitalism and talk about how really the origination of capitalism started with the primitive accumulation in feudal Europe, which was all about oppressing women and taking away the rights of single wealthy women who didn't work and the state wanting to take their wealth from them and burn literally burn them at the stake as witches. So all of this stuff is like really deeply connected and for like definitely a story for another day that we can double click on. But for all of those reasons, not just because we're silly or because, you know, quote unquote silly, or, or we, we read it somewhere, our parent told us that money is bad or that if you have money, you're a bad person. Like there's so much that goes into this psyche around money being evil and making money being evil. And that's why it's really hard for us to shake. And we can't just do affirmations around it or like manifest or whatever abundance. We have to really like in interrogate why we think that way and where it comes from and who taught us that and what skin they have in the game to make us think those things. So money just amplifies what's there, long story short. And and it has happened to be used by powerful people who often are not that cool on the inside. And it's just amplifying what we see. And in order to do work in the world, like we live within a structure of capitalism right now that might change at some point, but right now we have to work with what we got. And witches are the most like scrappy people, you know, we are like the best DIYers on the planet. Or if you have like, I don't know, some string and a horseshoe and some salt, we're like, oh yeah, I can totally whip up a spell with that. You know, we'll make it happen. So it's so funny to me to meet witches or hear from witches who are like, oh, I'm not going to use that tool. Like I'm going to use other tools to help the world. And it's like, why not? If you have this tool at your disposal, like it's not going to make you bad. It's just going to amplify your good work. You might as well use it. In fact, like, aren't you doing yourself and the world and, and your sacred work a disservice if you're not? If, you're, if like you could make money and you're not, it's going to, you're going to pour it back into your community. It's going to help you have longevity so you don't get burnt out and so you can do your work for longer. And just even like from a quite literal perspective, female entrepreneurs, I think 15 times more likely to invest in their communities when they have money. There's like a crazy multiplier that like 
when women are millionaires, the entire community like health level increases exponentially because they pour back into their people, right? Into their families, into their neighbors, into their entire communities. So if anything, like we should be reclaiming money so that we can do that work and be in community. And I feel like I just word salad on you. So I hope that didn't go too, <laughs> too long, too far. <laughs> oh, it's so great though, because yeah, I was, I was definitely afraid of money for so long and now I'm trying to learn how to build it. And it feels like hard, you know, because I, I want to stay so grounded and, and ethical, but it's like, oh, like, you know, I just get so frustrated still at times when I'm like, I know I want to do my business. I know this is going to be good someday, but like right now it's not bringing in all that I like desire. And so, yeah. Yeah, but sticking to it, I know will pay off one day. <laughs> How have you like built? Cause you've like, you got yourself going good now at this point in life, I feel like. And so what has been like your keys to doing that? Definitely. I mean, this is going to sound bad, but I had this like breaking point where, you know, my partner and I had been together for probably like a year and I just had this like, oh my God, if he gets really, really, really sick, like I won't be able to care for him. Like we, I won't be able to like keep a roof over our heads and that's not okay. Like I am giving back to this group of people and I've been building this business for a while. And I've been like, really, you know, like you have to kind of be scrappy. You have to be really scrappy at the beginning. And like, I didn't take it, take a salary for so long. And it was this weird breaking point where I was like, that's not okay. I need to, I need to make sure that I'm taken care of and that my family is taken care of. And I can do that and still be in integrity with the people that I'm here to help. And like, in fact, they really want to pay me too. Like they want to pay me what's fair and taking away that opportunity from them, that opportunity for, you know, any of my students or anyone who works with me to make that choice for themselves. Cause money is also alchemical. So any decisions that we make with money, like they amplify what's there, the feelings or emotions or the desires there. And so every time we have a transaction, that's a spell, whether we're intentional around it or not. And that's why when we have a lot of anxiety, when we pay a bill and we pay it really fast, like, do you notice how that bill keeps coming back or it keeps amplifying and getting bigger and bigger every single time you have to pay it? What might it feel like if we reversed that and we like sat with that feeling, we noticed that feeling and we turned that anxious energy into excited or like, I don't know, even like, delighted energy because they're not that different, right? Excitement is just, or fear is just excitement without breath. So what if we brought some breath into our fear and an anxiety around a transaction and, and thought about, wow, this is a cyclical reciprocal relationship with the person who is buying this thing from me and who is investing in me. And I'm going to invest back into them. And I'm also going to take this money and I'm going to invest it into something else. It's not just going to stay and be hoarded with me. And there was something about, you know, all of those connections and just realizing like, I need to take this more seriously. Like if I'm a witch, I need to take what I do and my power more seriously and step it up and not be afraid. And also, yeah, not steal the opportunity from my students to practice magic too, and to make commitments to themselves and paying for something is a huge alchemical experience and um, can be like an incredible, I don't know, like expanding experience, I guess. 
Like I think about some of my biggest purchases, like when I bought my car, gosh, that was like so scary. You know, I was like crying as I, and, and my hand was shaking as I was like passing over the biggest check that I've ever, you know, written, but it was also like, whoa, so cool. Like, wow, I own that. This is the biggest thing I've ever owned. Like that's in, it's insane. So there's a lot of magic there. And like thinking about that and not being so selfish and also knowing that like, I'm really good at making money, you know, like many of us are really good at making money. Why can't I hold on to money? What is the deal with that? Like, what is it about? What do I think about myself or about money or what I deserve? That's like, why don't I trust myself with this? When did I learn that? That like, I couldn't be trusted with something for a long period of time and that I'm not a deep enough container to hold whatever that might be, whether it's like intensity or power or energy. Why do I think that? Cause like, I'm so deep. I'm so powerful. Like I can hold these things and, and like, I can get better at it by improving my nervous system and truly being able to hold more, you know? And that's why like practices like meditation and breath work are so good for helping us with things like abundance and, and money. And, and I think learning about just the energy of, of money and the belief around money that really changed things for me, but mm-hmm. I could go on and on. I mean, being seen and, and not being afraid to fail and put yourself out there because I think we talk a lot about marketing and being yourself and being authentic. And that's important, but putting yourself out there to be rejected is really important too. Mm -hmm. And just like, if we think about it from a super logical sales perspective, in order to make a sale, you have to give someone an offer, whether it's, you know, to buy this pen or to, I don't know, buy a coaching session. Right. And if you have a 10% conversion rate on something like this pen, that's a really high conversion rate. E-commerce is like 0.05%. You know, it's not, it's not that high on a website, but if you had 5% 5% or 10% on this pen. That's amazing. That's huge. People would be like, whoa, you're an incredible salesperson. But that means that 90% of people said no. And people just don't really think about that, right? That like, oh, in order to make sales, I have to get no's. I have to get rejected. And that's really scary. You know, it's scary for me too. I totally drag my feet sometimes when it comes to selling stuff. So I'm like, I don't want to be rejected, but it's the pathway through. Yes, yes, yes. It's so big. And yeah, recently I've been pushing myself more and being rejected a lot, even in like love relationships. I'm like, it doesn't stop hurting. And I think that's what's important is like it just because we do this and we can, we talk about it. Like it still hurts when you get rejected. Like that doesn't go away, but we move through it. And so it's like realizing there's this difference because it's not like you're invincible. (laughs) You just keep going. (laughs) Yeah. And And it kind of like, when you have that outcome of like, well, I know when you know, when you know upfront, right? Like I know that I'm going to have to get rejected in order to get a yes. I know that I'm going to have to date people that kind of suck in order to meet my person, right? Or a person who really aligns with me. Like that's kind of inevitable. And when you can prepare for that, it makes it more manageable when you do go through it. It's Mm -hmm. less surprising and it makes you more resilient, circling back to resilience. And it helps you justify the feeling. And you also know that the feeling isn't going to last forever. And I think we get afraid to, to talk about death again. We get afraid to feel anything that feels like dying, like, and getting rejected feels like dying. And then you get through it and you're like, oh, I didn't die. Felt like dying though. And I don't want to do that again, but you get better and better at it. And all of a sudden, like when you get rejected, it doesn't feel like dying anymore. It's like, oh, that kind of sucked. Okay. On to the next thing. And you just get better at it. Yes. 
I agree. That definitely happens. And it's so great to like watch it and watch and ourselves and watch it and others too. And yeah, if I was talking about this yesterday, I, when I did the call for you guys, it's just like, sometimes we, we so often want to hold, catch people from falling. And it's important to allow people in our lives to feel those things so that they can build a tolerance and like just being there for mm-hmm. them as they're feeling that and not trying to change that in them and stop them from feeling that. Cause we all need to learn how to feel these things. Yeah. 100%. And the depth of our emotions is, and the intensity of our feelings, I would argue is why we're here to be human. Like that is so unique and special and rare and a miracle that we get to feel so deeply. And instead of being afraid of feeling deeply and like that, we can't hold it. Know that if you're feeling it, you can hold it. And like, you can always ask for help too. You can do both. Like we don't live in a black and white world. We live in the in-between. Yes, so good. Oh, I just want to ask one more question. And which you talked about, like how witches were burned back in the day. And like, I feel like some people are afraid to tap into spirituality because like super subconscious, subconscious yeah. into that. And so how do you help people like remember their like magical selves? Yeah, the witch wound is real where if you are a psychic, intuitive, witchy person, I mean, you probably learned in this life even that when you really see people, when you reveal that you know things that they don't want you to know that you get punished right like maybe kids were mean to you in school because they like knew that you knew saw them or or adults were like that freaky little kid and and they you know like they're we get punished for having these gifts so it's normal and I think just knowing that everyone's intuitive and everyone has these gifts and if they wanted to they would like they could they could tap into them is important and that like, you're not going to get punished for it anymore. You get punished when you don't know how to control your power. You don't know how to like harness your power, but when you like can sort of develop that power within you and hold it as a container and also like wield it intelligently and thoughtfully and conscientiously, then you're so much safer, but you also just have your own back, you know, like, you understand. I think the little kid example is good, or even like a baby rattlesnake, right? Like when a baby rattlesnake bites, it lets go of all of its venom. And that's because it just doesn't have control. And that's kind of how we are as little witches. Like we just don't know how to control everything and all of our big feelings. And, you know, like little kids with big feelings, we have, it's, it's our job as people who are older to help teach others that like you got this and you also have to like work on yourself this is a gift it's not necessarily a right so like you have to wield it responsibly yeah such a good point thank you for that and maybe just give everyone like what's one witchy spell from your like ancestors that they could try oh my gosh I have so many I'm Italian so like all cooking is basically witchcraft but my favorite to do is just put cinnamon and cardamom in coffee and a little bit of salt and carve a sigil into the coffee grounds of whatever it is that I want or that I want for the people I'm making coffee for and 100% of the time when I make coffee for other people they're like what what is that? What kind of, what was that? Like that you did, that was the best coffee I've ever had. And like, it was kind of burnt, but okay, cool. I'm glad that the magic worked. I think that mad, the best magic, the most powerful magic is the mundane stuff. The stuff that you do every day, like sweep your house, you know, that's magic. That's cleansing. Put some salt on the ground, take some rosemary, some dried rosemary and crush it up with the salt and put it all over your house, all over the floorboards. And then sweep from the back of your house to the front of your house, through the front door, 
all of that salt and all of that rosemary or other herbs. If you have herbs that you use that are from your bloodline, it'll cleanse out all of the energy and it like literally cleanses your house, right? Like real magic is practical. So probably lots of things that listeners are doing are magical spells and really spell work just comes down to thoughtful intention and pulling your energy together and then releasing your energy out towards your desired outcome. So that's it. So good. Thank you. And so if someone wants to find you or work with you, what are you offering? Oh my gosh. Well, we've got the North Node, which actually we have a wait list for. So you can sign up for the North Node wait list. We let people on like, you know, we actually close the doors to the North Nodes. We have a tiny little group. Well, it's not tiny. It's like 700 <laughs> people, but we have a group of people and it's closed to that group. So we, we keep that same number. If someone graduates, then we invite new people in. So you can learn more and sign up for the wait list. Um, we let in a couple people a month and we have a series of classes that we're teaching called Notion for Magical Baddies. And that's using Notion and sort of like logical, practical business tools in conjunction with the creative, intuitive, powerful stuff that we do at Holisticism. So those are all happening in quarter three and quarter four. Our next one is digital altars and social media spells. So it's going to be really fun. It starts on September 21st. So exciting. Yes. Highly recommend trying something and tell them about your podcast. Oh my gosh. And our podcast, The 12th House. Yes. If you like talking about mystical business, then The 12th House is definitely it. So go check that out. We would be honored to have your listeners come visit. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today. It was my total pleasure. Thanks for having me.